but then you know looking back on it it was like putting that uniform on in some ways was like being an actor it was a role because I was still in the early days I was I was not comfortable with my color and I wasn't comfortable with my sexual orientation so hiding behind the uniform was a great place to hide so G hi hi what you see behind me is my sound yeah. booth which is okay the dog's blanket hung on a painting <laughs> and if i and if i spin my laptop round can you see uh, 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 that's my laundry mat okay <laughs> and then up here there's a blanket do you know what I like? You've, you've thought about this, haven't you? I thought about it 10 minutes before and got really excited. It was like building a, a, a den. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you I've so got much. another session at 4 okay. o'clock. That's why I was Okay, saying, we're going to, yeah. we're going to, we, 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 we've begun, by the way. We have already begun. And thank you oh, so much for coming. Oh, wow. Welcome. Okay. Um, uh, and. The first question, which isn't exactly a question, it's more of a um, just a way of introducing each other, is to find some object that's right in front of you or around you that just says something about you and why that does. Have you got anything? Oh, that's interesting. I normally do that exercise at the end of sessions. Uh, there's stuff not within arm's reach, but okay. If you want, you can come back at the end with it. Right. Okay, let's do that at the end. All right, let's do it at the end. Yeah, we'll yeah, come back yeah, because there's, we'll come back there's a couple of things I have Lovely. here which might form that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So my first question for you is to describe somebody in your that you've encountered that has had a big influence on you in terms of how you communicate. And that could be an influence in a positive way or not. I mean, it's it, it, equally, it could be an influence on you in a way that you say, I don't want to be like that. Mm. Oh, God. There's two that I can mention. And I'm not saying this to show off, but I'm saying this because I've met both of them personally. And both of them impacted on me in different ways. And one was... Desmond Tutu. Wow. And the reason why Desmond Tutu impacted on me was uh, when I met him, you have this image that Desmond Tutu is this austere, you know, he's an archbishop, the history of apartheid, the history of Mandela, and everything like that. You know, the gravitas of the name alone mm. is huge. And when I actually met him, he was like a big kid he oh. was so playful he was so he was so in touch with yeah. his inner child yeah um and you know at a certain point you wanted to say to him you're desmond tutu behave yeah. like him behave how i expect him to behave <laughs> um uh, but it, there, what i loved is there was the authenticity mm. of the way he came across Beautiful. he was real very real mm. and and i think what i took from that is that I try and be as real as I can when I talk. Mm. Try and be as authentic as I can when I'm mm. standing in front of a group or a room or a hall. Mm. Um, and then the second one was James Earl Jones. Wow. Um, 
And when I met him, the thing that I was struck from him, about him, for me, is that his depth of listening. Mm. You know, he has a powerful voice, but he's a powerful listener. And I was with him for about an hour and a half just talking with him. And, you know, when you can feel someone actually listening to every single word you've said, mm. and I thought, I want to be like that. Gosh. Gee, two incredibly powerful men. I mean, actually, with Tutu, I do smile. I mean, I just, that's what, for me, I think of. And and he is able to just, he gives love, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's genuine. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I did say to him, which was interesting, which I think he misunderstood. I said, when I was a kid, he was one of the people I wanted to be my dad. Mm. Uh, because he just had that warmth of a father. Mm. Uh, there were three people I wanted to be my father. One was Sidney Potier. Mm. The other one was, um, I say it now, but it's interesting, it was Bill Cosby. Mm. And the third one was James Earl Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted yeah. any one of them. Any one of those, father. all three of them. Yeah. Fantastic. Gee, I've realised we jumped into this. We, we, we were kind of going to give you an intro before you got here, but we haven't fully. Yeah. So I've suddenly realised we jumped into this without actually introducing you. The man of mystery. The man of mystery. Do you, do you want to say a little bit about you? I mean, we can, we can uh, also, we, can, okay. we'll, we will fill up more of this, but do you want to say a bit? Uh, a little bit about me. I, uh, my current role is... I'm a public speaker, stroke facilitator, stroke diversity executive coach. Um, I run my own uh, consultancy, Purple Frog Training Limited. And I, before that, I was a police officer with the Metropolitan Police for 26 years. Um, and I was also... Britain's first openly gay black police officer. So in a nutshell, that's been me. I mean, I've always been working in environments where talking has always been my stocking trade. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So thank you. And already I'm kind of want to ask questions about that. Um, so we're already going off track, G. Well done. Mm. <laughs> My first question: How many of those twenty-six years in the Met had you were you were, had you already come out? Uh, the, probably the last. I joined the Met ninety-two, and I came out in two thousand and one. So uh, nine years almost. Nine years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I, I mean, we talk a lot about authenticity and impact, and that's where yeah. it, immediately I'm just kind of fascinated to know how and where that goes. So, um... I think my first, if, the authenticity thing was my not not my first, but my first speech. <laughs> okay, right. Yes, sorry, I've got two scenarios in my head, and they're talking to each other. Need to shut them both up. Right. Um, I've always loved being on stage, uh, not as an actor, but mm. I love talking on stage. I love walking onto a stage and having an audience. There's something about it that I find very spiritual. Mm. Uh, but for a long time, 
I always thought I had to have a script. Mm. I had to, I had to have notes. I had to have something to hold on to. Um, my first forays into being on stage were, uh, I had an uncle who was a magician in Nigeria mm-hmm. uh, and he was like Africa's version of David Copperfield. Mm. Uh, he was a big musician and I used to be his warm up man. Um, and you know, he used to fill out stadiums and I, I loved that feeling of walking on that stage. How old are you? This stadium. I was about 19, 18, 19. And what was your warm up? Uh, I just used to get the crowd. I loved this thing of going in the crowd and saying, can I get a round of applause? Yeah. And everybody just cheers and that energy, yeah. that raw energy coming at you. Uh, and it was just something about, come on, wave your hands in the air and all this sort of stuff. And having that power to move this huge, immense of people was wow. just awesome. There was nothing, I was not intimidated by it. I wasn't scared by it. I just loved it. Uh, and it felt very spiritual to me. It, it, it was a place where in that moment when you're in front of an audience, nothing else matters. Mm. It's about that moment. Mm. It's about the magic of that moment. Mm. It's powerful. Um, I can relate to that. It is yeah. very powerful. Yeah. And frightening. And then, no, and not for I you. was never not... frightened. No. Never. The only thing that frightened me was initially, this is where I was going with it. Initially, I had to have a script. So even when I went on there and did that, oh, hey, my, I would sit down and rehearse that before I got on. And then there was a day when I was in the police, I used to deliver this uh, particular briefing. And um, we did it sort of twice a week, and we'd done it from a PowerPoint. What was the briefing? It was a recruitment briefing for people who wanted to join the police. And it was basically telling them about the application process, about their expectations, what would happen when they get to Hendon, etc., like this, stuff like that. And they had a lectern in the room, and then you had the PowerPoint behind me. And I would stand there, and I would stand behind the lectern, lights dimmed, and just basically read from the script and let it go through. Okay? And then one day, just we used to do this thing in the evening. It was always in the evenings after people had finished work, they could come down for this session. This is like Joe Public. Yeah. Anyone who wants to join. Yeah, Joe Public. Yeah. yeah. Anybody who's interested in joining, they were invited along. Um, and then one day, we were having a big argument in the office about something. I can't remember what it was, but it was a real heated argument and then i looked at the time and i thought right i've got to go and do this presentation but when i come back we're going to finish this argument right because i'm not done with this yet and i went down and one of the guys in the room andy thought he'd better follow me down because he could see how i was and he thought he better follow me down because he doesn't know where this is going to go and i went down and i was so focused on the argument that i delivered the presentation without notes right uh, and I just free flowed, mm. and, and Andy was standing at the back looking at me. And then he said, "That's the first time you've delivered that freely, mm. and you ad libbed, and you didn't stand behind the lectern." Mm. And I was like, "Oh, oh!" So that started to plant that seed. Mm. Like, oh, and be- I became aware of being myself, mm. if that mm. made sense. Mm. And every time I've gone, it's always about how much of myself can I be in that space? Mm. Wow. That's always the challenge for me. Mm. 
there's lo lots I want to understand more of that. So I, 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 I get the liberation, being free of the PowerPoint, free to be yourself in that. How much prep do you do now then in terms of freedom versus preparation? How do you manage that? I, I, I'm in a place where I know my subject pretty well. And to me, the subject isn't about the theories or the models. It's about how you feel. Mm. It's about being real. That's that's what I see. I mean, I, I work a lot in the diversity, dignity, and inclusion world. Right? And to me, that's about mm. valuing people and valuing yourself. Mm. So when I'm in that space, to me, it's how can I show the people in that room that I value them? Mm. And I've got enough tools in my toolbox mm. now to know. I mean, yeah, if I'm doing a whole course, I've got, you know, you do have your mm. set structure mm. that you're going to do, but they may not come out in the order they're expected to come out, but they're there. Mm. Yeah. Um, sometimes I might not even get through all the structure because the atmosphere I'm looking for in the room, something else would take me there. And I love those moments. I love being in that space where, Something somebody tells a story or something happens that just takes everything in an entirely different direction mm. that you weren't expecting. Mm. And I love those moments mm. because I love that. I said, Oh, now we're gonna learn something. Mm. That's the birth yeah. of creativity. Now I don't know what's gonna happen and where we're gonna go, but I'm comfortable with this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm smiling because that's exactly what's happened to my list of prepared questions. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 equally i'm i i am intrigued that you didn't want to read the questions that i'd sent in advance for the, mm. now i understand for the very reason that you're saying out of the unknown comes creativity yeah which which again you know it, it that, that it sounds great but i can imagine a lot of people would go yeah but that takes a lot of confidence, doesn't it? That takes a lot of trust that you do know enough, that you do have your skills, that you do know your stuff. Because loads of people kind of would go, yeah, I know I should be an expert, but I don't necessarily feel that. So so, so, how have you kind of got to a point where you do trust yourself that much? I don't see myself as an expert. Ah. I've never seen myself as an expert. Um and when I'm in that space, I'm learning just as much as the group is learning. Uh, so, so there's a co, there's a, there's a, there's a, a coexistence going on. Um, and then the other thing for me is that I think what I have is enough experience behind me to say, whatever happens, I'll handle it. Mm. I'll handle it. Mm. Doesn't matter. I and I've had some incredible experiences in that room. Mm. And I just sit back and just it's okay. We'll get through this. Mm. Trust the process. So it sounds like that's somewhere you've got to as a result of the journey you've been on, mm. which has allowed you to say whatever happens, I'll handle it. Because what you've handled has been pretty extreme. So can we go back there a little bit and, okay. and, and, and see what that 
just find out more about that journey. Make sure, make sure my therapist is on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so I, I, I'm going to give now, that also conveniently gets me back to one of my earlier questions, which is to, to ask about favourite failures. And by that, I mean oh. stuff that's, stuff that has happened to us where we look back and we go because of that yeah yeah i've i've learned and i've moved on what comes yeah. to mind when i say that oh how long you got <laughs> this is more like how long yeah. have you got Mister? Yeah. we fell forward don't we? we that's the phrase i love that phrase we fail forward um I don't know that phrase. So what what does failing forward mean? It means that our failures are stepping stones to our awareness, to growing. Mm. So you don't see your failure as something that is a problem. You see your failure as a stepping stone, lovely. As an opportunity to grow, oh, lovely. an opportunity to, to achieve. So you fail forward. Mm. Um, it's written that it came from a guy called um, John Maxwell. Oh. He wrote a book called, called Failing Forward. Um, Nice. It's like the Thomas the Thomas Edison uh, quote. I don't know if you've ever heard that quote, where he invented the light bulb, and somebody asked him, "So hang on, wait, aren't you upset that you failed ninety nine times before you got it?" And he's like, "No, I just found ninety nine ways of it not working." Brilliant. Yeah. Mm. Before I could find mm. the one where it did work, mm. and that's I like that philosophy. Mm. Um, times and so, so some of your favorite failing forwards. Um. Okay, one. I and this was very early in my um, in my uh, talking career or my training career, so to speak. And I was delivering a workshop, and there's an exercise we do around legacy. Right? And it's basically, what would you like your eulogy to be at your funeral? Mm. And it's about doing an exercise around. I don't know if you're familiar with the exercise. I've, I've heard uh, of it. I like the sound of it. Yeah. 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 And we were doing it. And then somebody in the room just said, this is unsafe. This is unsafe. You shouldn't be doing this. I have just lost my relative. And it's your fault now. I'm feeling. And they just blamed me for this thing. And I was in this place of, that's not supposed to happen. That's never happened before. Mm. Um, and I felt really guilty about it really upset and i spent the rest of the day trying to apologize to this person and then i stopped and the, the learning from that was that wasn't my stuff mm. i had allowed that person to dump their stuff on me and rather than saying uh-uh sorry this is yours i accepted it mm. and that was a big learning point for me is that learning how to separate what is mine mm. and what is yours. Mm. Mm. Sounds very healthy. Yeah. So that, that was, that was a huge one. Cause that, that ate me up for a long time before I realized that. Mm. Mm. Um, okay. That was, yeah, yeah. That, that's what that one impacted yeah. on me big. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk G about, this space of the spoken word being a, a sacred space. Hmm. Do you have ways to kind of begin that 
when you're going to step into that sacred space, do you have a ritual to go into it? Do you oh. have what do you do to to honor that space to get ready for it? I uh, oh god, there's a number of things I try and do. One of the biggest ones is I have to find someone to laugh and joke with before I go on stage. I have to find someone to bounce off, Brilliant. to have a bit of banter with, because that kind of it kind of just charges me up. Oh. And then I can take that banter, I can take the energy of that banter, and I take it on stage with me, and it helps me project out onto the audience. Yeah. So that's one of the things yeah, I do. Um, um, just how do you do that when now half of our communication is us on our own in our living room, talking well, to somebody else doing, disembodied yeah. or loads of other people disembodied down a computer screen? How do you, how do you get that charge? Well, it's like, I mean, if, if you look at this before we started this, you know, coming on and just having that bit of banter about the technology and stuff like that, you know, it's a, it's a way of sort of like geeing up some energy, for want of a better phrase, and getting some buzz going. Yeah. Um, and that's what I like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, are, no, nerves, are nerves mm. not a thing for you? I mean, do, do they manifest in any way? It, it sounds like they don't manifest in a negative way, but 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 tell me what, what's your relationship with nerves then? My relationship with nerves? I, I don't know what it is, but I find that if I'm in a position where I something does scare me, frighten me, makes me feel anxious, I find that I go really calm. And I tend to, I tend to look at my emotions as lessons. If I'm feeling angry or afraid or something like that, and I, I tend to ask myself, okay, we have a whole range of emotions within our repertoires. Mm -hmm. Why am I choosing this particular one? What is it? What am I missing? What am I not paying attention to? That's creating this anxiety within me. That's the way mm, I tend to wow. look at it. This, this, it's an indication that I'm missing something mm. or I'm, I can't see something or there is something unknown going mm. on here or there is a lesson to be learned. Mm. That's how I look at uh, my emotions. It sounds so healthy. Because what I'm hearing, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a sort of a few things you've said that go to this, is a humility oh. that says, I don't have to be an expert. No. I don't have to be... Um, impressive I have to turn up and if I can yeah, turn up full of high charge that's great and equally if I'm nervous then I have to just question why and yeah. this this idea of failing forward kind of question it and learn from it yeah, yeah. which is it's yeah. like you're doing a a, a, a kind of mental um, judo the reverse, you know, using, not using, not forcing power, but using mm. what's coming as your, as your expression. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And it's also, I think the other thing for me is, it's, it's what adds to it, because I was talking about this, I've talked to, to me, the conversation or the, the engagement doesn't start when I open my mouth. The engagement starts from, the moment I walk in the room or walk into the hall, even though I'm not on stage, to me, that's when mm. it starts. 
Um, and how and do you start... use that? What what? So so, so example, you've walked into the hall, or you've switched on you know the computer for the day. Yeah. So I walk in. Um, I mean, there's it's a couple of things. Like if it's an empty hall, and I'm there early, and we're setting up. I just walk up and down the stage and just look around the room so I can see. I, I like to look people in the eye when I'm talking. And then I always look to see if there's any barriers or, you know, if there's, if there's a column in the room that chairs are behind, I always think about where am I going to stand so I can see the people behind those columns. They can see me too. And I want people to feel included. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing I do. So I make sure I'm aware of the room. Mm -hmm. okay. The second thing I like to do is... It's even in the way I dress. I always wear, uh, when I can, African dress and odd shoes. What do you mean odd? Not uh, as in... So a black shoe and a white no shoe way. or a red shoe and a blue shoe. No yeah. way. Why? <laughs> because I, it starts a conversation. So I would say to people, it would start a conversation either with me or about me to the person next to you or inside your head. But from the moment you see that, I've got your attention. Don't you have their attention anyway? Just by definition? Yeah, but it, being... it, 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 to me, it's not about the attention of them. It's about getting them thinking, getting them into a space where they start to have a dialogue. I mean, one of my opening lines is, pay attention to what I say, but learn from what you hear. Hmm. And the beauty of that is, I may say the same thing to everyone in this room, but you will yeah. all hear it based on your perspective of the world. Yeah. And my job is I want to get that internal dialogue going so that you can hear yourself mm -hmm. yeah, rather than hear me. Yeah. How do you find, G, doing what you're doing? Or maybe, I don't know if you, how much you, you are doing this online because so much of what you've described is so physical what you wear, mm. where you stand, how you are, what's in the air of that whole world, what that's like. Mm. How do you how do you bring some of that to this medium of I'm I'm I'm, I'm experimenting with that at the moment. So one of the things I do, you know, if I go and I do these online things, you've got no faces, I'll just ask, anybody out there? Hi, hello, can somebody say and then you get a few voices coming out and say, Oh, we have got people here. So it creates that buzz. Mm. And I ask questions, I throw the questions out there again. To, to me, it's about realizing that the audience is still there. They're just in a different space, mm. but they're still there. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, another thing that I'm working on at the moment is that we all do our interviews sitting down like this. Mm. But one of the ideas I'm having is that why don't I put the computer up and I can still walk up and down. Yeah. They can get a camera where they can still see me. Yeah. Uh, and then I've still got access to the PowerPoint. Mm. And just do it in a different way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. My, I, I start to have fantasies about making rooms sort of really purpose made. I'd like to take over our spare room as mm. a, you know, soundproofed and amazing lighting and just so that, yeah, you yeah. can do more with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because when I talk, I'm a pacer. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I like to pace up and down. Well, I can feel your energy. I mean, you can I can hear it in your voice. Um so what yeah, I mean, are you are you conscious of your energy? Are you conscious of what energy you produce? Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. 
I don't question it. I don't analyze it. I, I'm just grateful that there's something about it that has it. Um, and people do comment on it and say, you know, I remember once going into a thing and this woman into an event and I wasn't talking. I was a guest and I sat down at the table and this woman just looked across at me and she goes, oh my God. And I said, what's that? She goes, you know how to fill a room. Yeah. And I hadn't even said anything. Or I noticed that if I Brilliant. go out with a group of friends and we're in a restaurant, right? The waiters or automatically think I'm the leader of the group. Mm. So, you know, which amuses my friends. They'll come to me with the bill or they'll mm. ask me, should we bring this now? And I'm like... <laughs> if you always get the bill, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. Um, And people say mm. it to me a lot, so I get it a lot. Mm. You know, I was, at, I was in the gym the other day. I was getting changed and this guy goes, are you a police officer or a lawyer or something? And I said... I'm standing there naked, so like, why would you say that? <laughs> yeah. and, so like, and he goes, you've just got this air of authority about you. You just, you just have this presence. Mm. And I'm like, mm. oh, okay. Mm. So I, people have said it to me. People do, do know. Do you me. think being a policeman gave you an authority? I'm, I'm really interested. I want to talk about the police for a bit. Um, I think I'll... it added to it. I mean, a lot of my friends, where I am now, I'm becoming more aware of who I am or who I am in this space. And a lot of my longtime friends have always turned around and said, we've been waiting for you to catch up with, with how the rest of us see you. Mm. Um, so I think the uniform added to it, definitely added to it. But it, it was always there. I think it was there from when I was in Nigeria working with my uncle, the magician. Yeah. Is it I, Even as a kid, I think I loved being the center of attention. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, it can't just be the uniform that adds to it in the police. I mean, yeah. I mean, are you, I'm just interested in terms of kind of communication, I guess you've got it with your colleagues, you've got it with the public that you meet. Tell me a bit about that. I, I mean, I, I, one of my questions I've got here is how you, how you balance professional persona versus personal. I, <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, very interesting because there's the, I, I am both an extrovert and an introvert. Like, I can be in front, I can be loud, I can be awesome, I can be whatever. But I also, I like to be peaceful and I like to be quiet. If I've done a really good course or anything, I, I come home. I don't want to be disturbed by anyone. I want to sit in silence. I want to be by myself. I'm going to just listen to some music or just chill out and I can be happy in that space. Mm. Uh, that's my recharging space. And, and that's the place where if I get into that melancholy place, I like to do it quietly by myself. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. But I, I try not to think of myself as in a professional and a personal. I just, I just try and be me. Mm. But you, you obviously now are incredibly liberated with that. Yeah. Tell me what what it was like because obviously you had the diametric opposite for for a large mm. part of your life. So can you describe how you balanced those two before? I mean, but but equally, I'm I'm also imagining people did see more to you than you may be know. Yeah, oh, always, always, always. You know, when you were talking about you're catching yeah. up with yourself. So 
I think I might have asked you this before, but I want to ask you again. Why did you join the police? Because I didn't want to be black. Uh, every experience I'd had at that time, or the way I interpreted the experiences I'd had at that time, was being black was a burden. It was horrible. Um, I'd lived, when I lived with my natural parents, I was abused by my father. And I felt the only time I was happy was when I was with my natural foster parents. Mm -hmm. um, I was sent to Nigeria where I ended up being homeless, uh, going through a really traumatic time in the time I was out there. Um, and when I came back to the UK, I was like, I don't want to be that person anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, this is all the suffering. This is all the hardness. And I think joining the police was a way of saying I can I can be this person and mm. I don't have to be that person. Mm. This was the closest I felt I could come to having power. Mm. Yeah, that inner power or whatever it is. Mm. Um, so I could have that badge to say to people, I'm not one of them. I'm one of you. Mm. Um, how, how, I was going to say, how did that work out? <laughs> how long, how, you know, so there you are, you've joined and you've gone, okay, I'm somebody else. How long until you start going, this isn't this isn't a comfortable place? I mean, did, did anything pay off in the short term? Did you get any hit? Oh, yeah, in, in the short term, yes. I mean, I was in loads of articles. I was put up for a lot of good jobs. I was seen as a safe pair of hands. Um, I looked at it like... Why? Why were you... Why were you I didn't rock the boat. I didn't. I right. wasn't one of those coming in to claim racism sticks out everywhere. Um, right. I said all the right things that people wanted to. I told. I told racist jokes. I made fun of myself. I became the butt of everyone's joke. Mm. Um, so I was seen as safe. Um, but then, you know, looking back on it, it was like putting that uniform on in some ways was like being an actor. Mm. It was a role. Because mm. um, I was still, in the early days, I was I was not comfortable with my colour and I wasn't comfortable with my sexual orientation. Mm. So hiding behind the uniform was a great place to hide. But the, the, it was, it's almost like being in drag, right? There's, there's an element of you when, you when you, when you, like mask work, I don't know if you've, as an actor or something you've done, it's like wearing a mask. And as long as I'm wearing this mask, I can be this person. Well, I was going to say it could uh, be quite liberating being in drag. Yeah. Or wearing Yeah, mask. yeah. Oh, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to try it one day and just see, just to see what personality yeah. comes out of me. Yeah. Because, um, because you don't have to worry about who you are. Yeah. You're, you, yeah. You are. Yeah. You are. So I get that. You're, you're wearing a uniform, which gives you a whole load of behaviors that you can just be yeah, very detached from you know that yeah but then I, I there was a phrase i heard once which i loved is a japanese proverb says we are all three people i am who you think i am i am who i think i am and i am who i really am mm -hmm. and for me it's always been about how do i get all those three to be as close to one as possible mm -hmm. That's great. I'm seeing a whole something open up there. I am, yeah.
do those is that is there inherently sometimes tension with those so i am who i think i am i am who you think i am i mean obviously that's where being a policeman who is black and who is gay who hasn't come out that's that's therefore as diametrically opposed as you could be yeah so that's yeah that's your journey oh. but sometimes you have to go to these places to become who you are today and that's that's why i said when i look back i don't look back i don't look back with regret mm. i look back and think shit if i hadn't have gone through that would i be the man i am today and any one of those, you know, you, you can't sit down and say, well, if I didn't go through that incident, but you don't know which incidents have given you what gifts. But when you look back and you look at the whole journey, mm. you know, I look at it now and I think, God, I was born to be a diversity trainer. Mm. Yeah. Black, gay, Muslim, police officer, Nigeria, homeless. I've got everything. What more do you want? Mm. Mm. <laughs> and it just gives me, and I realize the richness mm. of experience that it's given me. And and mm. how to use it, and, and I think the, mm. other, the the most beautiful part about it is it helps me to appreciate other people. In the sense of, I know I now know I don't know myself, and I'm happy not knowing. My, I know who I am in this moment, but I'm also aware that something could happen in the next minute, hour, day that could throw everything I believe about myself on its head. And I love that feeling. Why do you think that? What what makes you think something could change you? Oh, anything. I could go outside and get hit by a bus and end up in the, mm. you know, being disabled. I could go, anything could happen. Anything can happen. And, and it's, it's great, you know, knowing that the only time you really have is now. Mm. You know, the only person you are is the person in this moment. And I love that. I love that feeling mm. of knowing that. Um, I love when you get to those positions where you or situations where you have no idea where anything's going to go. Because right? I sit down and I think, oh, I'm going to learn something about me in this moment. And then I love the fact that knowing that and knowing that I can be open to learning about myself stops me from judging you. Mm. Because if I don't know myself that well, how am I going to know you? I live with me every day. I've lived with me every day for almost over 50 years. And I'm still learning about myself. I've known you for five minutes and I think I know you. Mm. Yeah. Why should I be so arrogant? Yeah. Oh. Mm. Okay. I've got one final question. And then we're going to see what object you're going to bring. But my my final question is, if you could develop a an ability or a skill in the spoken word to Olympic standards, what quality, what 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 aspect of communication would you want to develop more in yourself? A baritone voice. I would like to have 
that kind of I call it a Shakespearean type of voice. Those Shakespearean actors, you know, uh, that's Simon Callow or mm. or you know or um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Picard. What's his name? Oh, his real name. I've forgotten his name now. Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Stewart. <laughs> so, is there any object that you can uh, that says something, something of you today? Something of me today. Part of you. So, um, it's something I've spoken about. It's a photograph of my uncle, the magician. Oh, fantastic. Um, can you describe it? Yeah, it's where he's doing his floating lady trick. The floating lady. So that's his wife, my auntie. She's floating. And he's uh, magically making her float. I don't know if you can see that clearly. Say just and, and just just describe for for those who won't be able to see it. What he's a, he's wearing about. he's dressed in a tuxedo with a top hat, uh, and the lady is sort of floating in front of him. And the reason why I've chosen that picture, I suppose, is working with him when I was with him. I, I he was such a magical man. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, there was just something about his presence. There was something about the way he carried himself that I loved being around. Mm. Uh, even when we were kids, before I even worked with me, before I went to Nigeria and worked with him, he used to come to London on holidays and do shows at Hackney. Mm. Uh, and my dad would never let us go and do see the shows because my dad was like, that's all, you know, it's all satanic stuff. It's all this. Um, and then when I got to Nigeria, I got to stay with him, and my dad was so pissed mm. that I was staying with him. Mm. And I loved being with him, I loved being around him. Mm. Um, and that's where, like I said, from him, I learned that love of being on the stage mm. or walking out in front of an audience and just looking around and just wow, mm. there's just something awesome about mm. it. Mm. Oh. Yeah, brilliant. G, thank you so much. Are we going to do a part two? <laughs> I think we might have to.